Welcome to the Rethink ELA podcast, hosted by English language arts teacher, Michelle Waters. Prepare to receive strategies, products, and expert advice tailored to help teachers build social awareness, student agency and voice in their ELA classrooms. Welcome to the Rethink ELA podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Boyd-Waters. When people ask me why I became a teacher, I tell them that I've known I wanted to be a teacher since I was seven years old, but then I forgot for 30 years. After everyone processes that and asks 50 million questions, this usually happens in a classroom full of students, I explain that I became a writer first because it was something I loved doing and didn't involve numbers and columns, which is what all my teachers' grade books looked like at the time. Frightening. I chose to be a newspaper reporter because I loved telling stories, but never thought that I had any stories. It was easier for me, and I loved it, to listen to other people's stories and tell them my experience on secondary, collegiate, and professional newspaper staffs over a 14-year span. And that's not only informed my personal writing process and how I teach writing, but also my current academic writing processes. My experiences as a reporter and editor have helped me immensely, not only in creating my academic writing process, but navigating the publishing world. My colleague, Dr. Jenny Hanna, who is a past president of the Oklahoma Council of Teachers of English, has a similar experience with a journalism background and has not only earned her doctorate, but has published her dissertation as a book. We heard her story behind the book back in July, and now we're going to hear the backstory of how she published her research in a format that benefits English teachers with military-connected students in their classes. And if you're interested in publishing a book, this episode is for you. We'll learn more about her writing and publishing processes after these messages. If you're on my mailing list or follow me on social media, you probably already know that the National Council of Teachers of English accepted my proposal. Let your light shine, building entrepreneurial collaborations to advocate, share, ELA expertise. That means that I'm going to Anaheim, California for the 2022 convention on November 17th through 20th. I wrote this proposal because I see that English teachers with years of experience, advanced degrees, and active participation in NCTE possess a wealth of expertise much needed by newly certified emergency and alternatively certified teachers. I also see, especially in today's political climate, that educators need to stop being afraid to shine a light on their work and start advocating for it. Education is a communal practice and teachers can build communities to support their work and contribute to their financial futures at the same time. Students also benefit when they see the real value of writing for a specific audience through their teachers, publishing company, or educational consultancy. By starting their own businesses, teachers are showing their students that someone they know can start a business, profit from it, and serve people through their work. By building their own stages, teachers can shape their own professional learning community and collaborate for the benefit of all. In this session, I share my journey that started with a teacher blog, which I converted into an educational publishing company. I partner with teachers and writers on blog posts, podcast episodes, curriculum and lesson plans, and professional development courses now. Teachers in this session will begin developing strategies to create a viable platform and discover their best audiences through writing prompts, small group collaborations, and scaffolding activities. Then they'll be introduced to key concepts for building an automated online system that will enable them to share their lights while still teaching or even as a full-time vehicle for education advocacy. To learn more about this presentation, go to RethinkELA.com slash NCTE22. Welcome back to the Rethink ELA podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Boyd-Waters, and I am excited to have Dr. Jenny Hanna back with us again. Welcome. 
morning, everyone. Yes, it, it, I, well, it is still morning. <laughs> Only for a little uh, bit longer. Only a little yeah. bit. <laughs> yes, this is kind of like the perfect time to record a podcast. It's still quiet in the house, but not super early either. So I, I think I still have some brain, or I actually have some brain cells that are awake at this point in time. <laughs> that is very vital. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, yes. Such a night owl here. The reason why I asked you back is because, you know, we talked about your book in your last episode, and I am an aspiring writer myself. I already have, you know, my master's thesis done, which, you know, people tell me, you need to get a portion of that published, or you need to publish the whole thing, and I'm thinking, I have no idea how to do that. And then, kind of on, on the back end, I am an aspiring novelist. I've been wanting to write a novel for as long as I knew they existed and it's kind of still something in my bucket list. And so when I heard that you had written a book and then we talked about it, I thought, you know, that would be an amazing interview for not only for me to hear, but also for other teachers who are like, you know, I I need to write. Of course, absolutely. And I think uh, in every good English teacher is this desire to go and recreate what we do in our classroom. I can write a book. Yes. I could do this. So absolutely. Yes. These things are are very accessible to English teachers. Absolutely. Yes. So could you tell us um, about yourself? Uh, you know, who are you as a teacher? So as a teacher, um, I'm obviously, of course, an English teacher. But before that, I was a journalist. And that is something that we kind of realized that you and I share in common, that we had this whole degree (laughs) before, this whole profession before. um, Mm -hmm. And perhaps maybe like me, um, I found out that I enjoyed teaching others to find their own voice than using my own in writing. So that's kind of what led me to go, "Hmm, I can write, but now I want to see if I can help others have that same success that I did. So that's how I got into teaching of English. Uh, But I think that that really helped to give me a different kind of edge when you work in the classroom, simply because you know what it's like to go through multiple drafts and iterations and to have that self-doubt. It's very accessible when you teach secondary students who look at a blank page and immediately the panic monster strickens them. So knowing those things ourselves, that really helps us. That background that we have with publishing and, and doing the writing on demand It makes it Mm -hmm. much easier for us to break that down for students and help them as well. So I think that is something that's always helped me to become a a good teacher, in my opinion. Yes. And so you're teaching high school English and what else? So I teach high school English and then also um, comp one and comp two. So collegiate English, basic undergrad English as well. Wow. And so my question there is, you're teaching at the high school level and at the collegiate level. How in the world did you find time to write a book? (laughs) Um, I have no clue. I guess I didn't sleep a whole lot for the past couple of years. Yeah. Um, Considering it was based upon the doctorate, and I'm going to tell you my committee, I think they saw this envisioned as a book, as a professional Uh development book way before I did. I was just trying to survive and sound as smart as everybody else in the room, right? So when I started writing this and they were telling me to write these in certain ways, I couldn't see exactly what they saw, but it's the same way that I see something in the students that they might not see at that moment themselves. So considering I wrote the doctorate and the dissertation 
the the way that I did, it made it extremely accessible to start to convert over into the book, but also a couple articles as well. So that that helped. It was kind of that forward planning, early thinking type situation to be able to make sure that everything that's going down on the page could easily be converted into a way that's more accessible to another audience. So. Yeah. And as you were writing and, and creating, you're also, now that you have this body of work, you're reusing, reusing it for other purposes as well, which I think is an important concept that I know both as a business owner and then in my, I guess I, I just call it publications class last semester, mm-hmm. my professor really hit hit us with the idea that you create something, but you can use it in a lot of different ways. So it's not, you know, I wrote this whole thing and now I'm done with it. Absolutely. And in a classroom, we know that as English teachers, we assign a lot of things, but if they don't see the practical applications, they're not going to want to do it. I mean, we in the old days used to do those book reports and no Mm -hmm. one ever asks me for my book reports now. So no, that is always something I keep in mind that there, there should be something beyond that initial primary audience that you're reaching out to, because you're right. These are things that maybe could be published in different venues or in different areas. So that is a great way to kind of begin your brainstorming as well too. And I was very lucky that I was pushed in that direction early on and it made it much easier for me to be able to get published as well. Yeah, absolutely. So you're an English teacher, you're working with, you know, kids in high school and kids in college on a daily basis. You know, and and we know as, you know, English teachers, we're writers at heart and we 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 want to write, but what kind of what really led you to push you to write or to get your book published? Uh, well, first and foremost was definitely my committee. They were constantly yeah. on me. You would assume that once you're done with a degree path, a degree plan, and you've graduated that these people kind of forget about you, but they don't. No. <laughs> I, yes, I get emails all the time from my committee members um, pointing out um, publication opportunities or checking in to see if I've written any new articles that they could maybe share with their courses because I've got several that have moved around the United States that share some of the stuff that I've written which is such a unique thing because I always shared what they wrote so that's always an interesting realm to kind of go into but simply because I went ahead and and had those committee members that kind of were that driving force behind you. Because once there are no more deadlines, that internal motivation has to come from you. And so yes. unless you surround yourself by people that are going to continue to push you, you're kind of at a, a, a precipice point of either you're going to do this because it's something you really want to do and you'll sacrifice to get there, or it becomes one of those, gosh, I wish I could do that, like the novel I have sitting in a desk drawer myself too. You know, those, those things, unless somebody pushes you to do these, they easily can get lost amid all the other things we have to do in life. Yes, that is, that is so true. So with that in mind, you know, what other than, you know, having a committee of people on the outside pushing you to do this, kind of what is your secret to getting everything done? Well, I try and find areas where it seems like there's not a lot of writing about. And that's 
difficult for me. I, Mm -hmm. I know I'm a decent writer. I know I can get published. I've done it in the past, but every time that I sit down and look at a call for manuscripts from an academic journal, um, or think about an idea, I realize someone has already probably done that. So I'm not contributing anything new. And so I kind of psych myself out a little bit sometimes. But I think looking for spots where maybe this is a different approach or something that is a new point of view on it kind of helps to be able to go, wow, there is something that I could contribute because maybe if more people viewed teaching in this way or writing in this way or working with students or understanding adolescence and all the things that high school and collegiate teachers deal with every day, maybe that could be beneficial. So it's about finding that gap. Plus, I really like having that byline. I must admit, yes. it is. Yes. Um, <laughs> I miss that from my journalism days, but I used to Same. open a newspaper and see those every day. It was, it was kind of like a fill your cup moment there. So exactly, the more that you get published, it's kind of interesting to see that. I've had different people reach out to me via my social medias to say, hey, I read your article in this academic journal and I want to say thank you. Or I tried to get this, but there's a paywall, which I know it. I see it on Twitter all the time and in different social media realms. If there's an article you want and you can find the author on social media, ask them. They will probably give you the article for free because we just want people to read our work. (laughs) I think our writers, us writers are kind of selfish. We just want someone to absorb what we put out there. So we want to connect. Absolutely. So if there's something where you go, oh man, I want to read that search that person, send them an email. Chances are they're going to share what they got with you because that's what we want. But the, the, the notion that I get that feedback and it creates those connections, it's a really interesting avenue of publishing as well too. And then it kind of creates this bigger network circle where you have things that you read from other people and they help reinforce and guide and, and kind of inspire you as well. It's, it's a weird symbiotic relationship, but it is, (laughs) it is very exciting very exciting. Yes. And so that kind of, like you said, fills your cup as Mm -hmm. a writer making those connections and seeing yourself, um, seeing your byline, which, you know, I, I totally miss that too. (laughs) So how does this process, you know, getting published, how does that benefit you as a teacher? Well, one thing that I found, and I found it very early on when I switched from journalism into the classroom is I mentioned just offhandedly to some students that I worked at the local newspaper before I got there. And of Mm -hmm. course, in the social media, digital age, where we have everything in our hands with a cell phone, they immediately started Googling my name and brought up articles I had written before. (laughs) And granted, I look back on them now at being a better writer because we we continue to grow each and every year. I'm going to be better 10 years from now than I am right now, just as I was 10 years before. And I cringe when I look at the things that they used to publish sometimes and go, oh, how did they pay me for this? They must have took pity on me for some reason. But that was always kind of an interesting thing to have students go out and find those things that I've written. The book itself that got published, our district was great and bought some copies and put them in all the secondary schools and then in the professional development library for all of the schools themselves. 
Wow. But they put them on the actual bookshelves. And I had students who were signing up to get on the waiting list to check out this <laughs> book of mine. And I had to keep reminding them, guys, it's not for you. Like this is this is a professional development book for yeah. teachers. If you want to read it, by all means, read it. I'm excited and I'm happy if you want to read it. But they were just so excited to see something from somebody they knew. That's something I was telling the teachers at the Oklahoma Writing Project um, just yesterday is your students, when they see your byline, they see that this person that they know has written something, they're going to want to read it. Even like you said, even if it isn't for them, they're still going to want to read it. And who knows, maybe by reading your work, it might inspire them to decide to be a teacher. Absolutely. Um, I had one student who was on the fence about whether or not to go into education or journalism and opted to go the journalism route. And she'll tell you because she read some of my stuff and thought, well, that's pretty cool. She could do that. I could do that too. And she is, she's about ready to graduate next year with a degree in journalism from a local university here in Oklahoma. And that's phenomenal. I'm, I'm happy for her. So you're right. This can be sort of an inspiration. If they see our names, they might be more willing to go, well, maybe they know what they're talking about a little more. Yes, yes. You're not just, you know, sitting there in a classroom and they have no idea that you even exist outside the classroom. Mm -hmm. You know, what could you possibly know about the real world? Well, they see you outside of the classroom now through your work in publications and they can can see that connection. Absolutely. So going... Going back to our understanding as a teacher um, and as somebody who's been published, you know, I'm thinking I want to get my book published or when I'm done with my dissertation, I would like to publish it too. How do we get started? Well, there's lots of different avenues that you can take. Um, I know that the prestige or the excitement of getting a book sounds really awesome, and it is pretty awesome, but mm-hmm. there's that's a, that is a very hard path to follow. Um, It is it is a cutthroat type of industry. And if I hadn't known some people who could pull some strings to at least get me a a seat at the table to try and present my information, it probably would still be exactly where it was before. Um, So starting out smaller is probably the easiest way. I know it may not be as prestigious to publish in the um, journal for the state chapters of NCTE, but those are still publications that get your name into the stratosphere and get you something to put on your resume. So I know we all want to publish in the English journal. That is like a ultimate get. That is a bucket yeah. list get for any yeah. um, anybody looking into publishing. But start small. Build yourself a little resume. Um, we do have the Oklahoma English Journal here, of course, in Oklahoma. Yes. But there are other ones in other states as well. So do a Google search and look at some of their calls for manuscripts. See some of the articles that they have written before. That yes. will kind of help you so you can get your feet wet. And then when you are starting to try and reach out to bigger named academic journals, you already have a little bit of that credibility, that ethos as you're going in there. Um, if you happen to be a college student right now, if you're working on your undergrad or your master's or your doctorate, um, you have a access to what we call a white list. And that is a list of different academic journals. And through that list, it gives you like acceptance rate and how many blind reviewers they have, um, what are their aims and scopes, all of those things. If you have access to that, keep it and use it for all that it's worth. Because when you are no longer enrolled in school, 
you have to pay money for that. And it Ugh. is expensive. So had I not done the legwork before I got out of education, I wouldn't have an idea of the list of academic journals that are possibly available because there are hundreds of them, yeah. hundreds and hundreds. So look at the aims and scopes, look at a couple of the different articles that they have, because they'll always have sample articles on their websites. So you can see how they format and structure their their prose, the text that's in there. If you do that, that helps you to adjust your sales a little bit, get those keywords that they're looking for, and then you can improve your ability to possibly be published. So those are all helpful things that worked for me in the past. And those are the things that I often tell other aspiring authors to do the same. Well, thank you. I very much appreciate that. And I have one question about that whitelist. Yes. So how do I find that at my university? It's called Cabell's, like C-A-B-E-L. Okay. And I think that, don't don't quote me on that. But if you do a Cabell's <laughs> search, a Cabell's whitelist search, um, because it's the whitelist is going to be the ones that are approved and they have the good rating. There's also the the blacklist, which... I probably should pick better terms for these things, but um, yeah. that is the list of ones that are a little bit more arduous and also are the ones that are, are problematic in their publishing. Like maybe they have an academic journal, but it's brand new, so they don't have that credibility or they don't do blind reviews, mm -hmm. which is very essential because you're going to be, you know biased if you're looking at something and you see a person's name that you know has written books to to be able to go well clearly they know what they're doing we'll just go ahead and print their stuff whereas you should have that blind review process so there's some that have some variations there but it's cabell's cabell's list and it should give you a search it'll take you to another search engine through your library database okay yeah All right, i'm definitely going to have to take a look into that absolutely what other advice do you have for teachers who are wanting to get published either in academic journals or in books? Well, one thing I can share, and this came from uh, Dr. Neil Hauser at the University of Oklahoma, and he helped me to get my very first article published early on in my doctoral process. And I think he just offhandedly said this in class as kind of a a template for how mm -hmm. he sees a lot of academic journals being put together, their articles. And it is something that I've kept um, on a sticky note in every office I've ever sat in for the past decade. And mm -hmm. I refer back to it as kind of how to set up the flow of my article. And it has served me well. So I will share Dr. Hauser's <laughs> wonderful yes. knowledge, but I have to give him credit because this totally came from him. And yes. it's essentially a four-step piece. So if you are thinking about doing an academic article, a peer-reviewed article on, let's say, um, disengagement amongst uh, reluctant readers at the secondary level. Mm -hmm. So you want to lay out for the first thing, lay out the problem. Tell me exactly what the problem is. Paint the picture. That's kind of where those sensory details come in at the front. Kind of create an anecdote, anything like that. Lay out the problem and tell us exactly what it is. And then you go into why is it a problem. And that's essentially more of like a lit review. Not a real full lit review. But this is where we start bringing in those academic sources and saying, okay, they're disengaged because of X. And this is the study that shows Y. Or they're disengaged because of Y. And here's the theoretical structure that supports that. 
that. So lay out the problem. Tell me why is it a problem? Mm-hmm. And then you go into step three is to offer a solution. So how are we going to fix reluctant readers in our classroom? How are we going to engage them more? What are we going to do to be able to do that? And then essentially that fourth step is kind of tell them what to do and how to do it. So if this is something that you've done with success in your class, which I'm telling you that helps to sell as well too. If you've done something specifically in your class and you can give a good takeaway to your readers, that is key. So what is something that, that you've done? What did you do? And then explain how to do it. Offer guidance, advice, resources, references, things that went well, things that didn't. I think a lot of published authors are kind of frightened to be able to show their weaknesses. No, we all have those weaknesses. So what didn't work well? Share with me so that that way I know not to do it again. So if you follow those four steps, I cannot guarantee that you will be published, but I bet you have a much better shot because it has worked well for me for my 10 plus articles over the past couple years. So this is a good thing. Lay out the problem, explain why it's a problem with that theoretical backing, and then offer a solution. Tell them what to do and how to do it. You do that, you know, you're and, better off. Yes. And, and as you were laying out that flow chart and, and explaining each step, I was writing my own sticky note. Yeah. And I'm sitting here thinking about a particular experience that I had in the classroom. And I'm thinking, I can absolutely write an article about that experience with this outline. So I'm excited now. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm telling you, I look at my classroom and go, what is the advice I would give? And I think about something maybe I learned, either it was an interaction with a student or an idea that went well, or something that I'm noticing and I'm wanting to fix or solve or just try and adapt around because some problems we can't fix or solve. And if I find that, then the other pieces start to match out. But having that personal connection to it, that helps so much, so much. Yes. Well, Dr. Hannah, thank you so much for your time. I'm excited now. I'm ready to dive in here and get the new article that's sitting in my head actually into the computer. (laughs) Sounds like a plan to me. Well, thank, again, thank you so much for your time and for being here with us and sharing your wisdom and your expertise. Absolutely. Um, if anybody has any questions, uh, you are welcome to reach out to me. Um, I have a lot of uh, different people working on different angles and different levels of academia that often want just maybe, I don't know, a quick kick in the pants or some <laughs> words of wisdom. I don't know if I have either one, but I'm willing to be a kind ear and offer some help if I need to. So I my information that. is is all going to be shared, I'm, I'm assuming, yes? Yes. Or do you need to share? yes. Perfect. So then reach out. I'm I'm more than willing to, to help future authors. We We need more voices, way more voices to be able to really reach out to some of these these areas that need to be discussed. And I think that that is the way to do it is through academic publishing. It's a big key element we need to hit. Yes. And so um, your information will be in the show notes on the website at RethinkELA.com. And so our listeners will be able to go there and reach out to you. Again, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. 
One of the most difficult challenges we face inside our classrooms is convincing students that reading and responding to their reading is important to their growth as readers and that they can grow as readers. I've worked for more than 10 years in my classroom trying to solve this problem and quickly noticed what helped even the most reading resistant students. Over the past four years, I've worked on a framework to help students see the value in reading and sharing their reader responses. Now, I'm working on preparing this framework so that you can encourage your students to not only read, but also share their reading experiences with their friends. What better way to encourage students to read and then to make it about them and about their need to be social? Check out the project and see how you can secure your copy at rethinkela.com kickstarter. Thank you for listening to Rethink ELA podcast. I'm Michelle Waters, and I can't wait to give you a few resources I've developed to help you create a student-centered, collaborative, and creative learning environment. Download these resources when you join our mailing list at rethinkela.com news.